Welcome to No Truck Stops, a Pac-12 basketball podcast brought to you by Homefield Apparel. I am Greg at Banana Morphs, and joining me today for the final time is Reed at Pac-10 Reed. Yeah, I am doing great today. Uh, two main things in my life going on. One, Carlos is not here. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's out of the country, so we can celebrate that. And two, I have new home field apparel merch here. A couple yes. Oregon shirts, a few other ones. Uh, so I'm doing great. Own quacker backer. Bang. <laughs> yeah, the man. That just, I can't get over how soft the shirts are. But uh, we'll we'll get to the ad for home field later in the show. Uh, for now. Pac-12 basketball is what we will be talking about. As Reed said, Carlos is not here, and uh, the wait for Avery's return to the basketball episodes uh, will go another week, but she will be here soon, rest assured. Uh, But before we get into the slate, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, Like the video, comment away with your thoughts in the YouTube chat while we're going live uh follow us and tweet at us at no truck stops pod on twitter and send in your questions and rants uh and of course for podcast listeners follow the show on apple and spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a five-star review um as always we have content on our patreon at no and we will be posting a preview for the final week of the Pac-12 regular season tonight, where we will dive deep into the Platy, the Apple Cup, and the rest of Rivalry Week. So go check that out. Uh, we will continue to do football episodes on the Patreon throughout the off season, which you can get for just $5 a month. And if you don't want to spend $5 but want to still show your support, consider subscribing for $3. And you can even cancel your membership so uh, it, uh, immediately so you don't get charged. Any little bit helps. Uh, Thank you for any of your support. And uh, all right, let's get into the week that was because it was a pretty eventful one. I absolutely love Feast Week, and I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, it was an eventful week for basketball. Uh, We'll start with the lead game, UCLA versus Marquette. Uh, This was an epic matchup on Monday night. We got our first glimpse at a new-look UCLA team against an elite eight caliber opponent probably uh for much of the night they looked the part the brooms the bruins stormed to a 45 33 lead five minutes into the second half powered by strong team defense but it would fall apart on a 17 nothing marquette run (laughs) over the next four minutes mixed boys could have crumbled but they fought back sebastian max stepped into a lead role on offense down the stretch notching 25 points on 14 shots and 13 for 13 from the free throw line UCLA had a 69-68 lead lead with just a minute left after a nasty Adem Bona post move, but the Bruins' hopes would again die on a Marquette dagger three followed by two missed shots in the final possession to lose 71-69. Greg, does UCLA deserve credit for this close loss? If so, how much? Absolutely. I think UCLA deserves credit for this close loss. Um... When I say that, I don't necessarily mean that like this means they're national title contenders, although maybe it does. Uh, but what I mean is we've talked about UCLA in a certain way throughout the offseason and now at the beginning of the season where we kind of talk about them like they are going to be a real work in progress. Like It's going to be a while before they're really competitive with the best, before they're really competing for... Uh, I don't know, the 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 highest echelon of the sport. And that made sense because it's a team full of freshmen, you know, and Mick Cronin does not like freshmen. But it seems as though he has turned these freshmen into just a team of Mick Cronin players. Like, <laughs> these dudes, they, they look great. They look great. Like, obviously, they lost that game. And giving up a 17-0 run is bad. I don't care who you are. But I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, I think much higher of UCLA after this game. Being able to push a team like Marquette that close, and I believe Marquette played Purdue today, and I think that was a pretty good game, although they lost. Uh, yeah, and and they upset number one Kansas yesterday. Yes. Yeah, like Marquette looks really good, and uh, I mean, whew. UCLA's ability to play that close, and I don't think it was a fluke what UCLA did either. Like I think that was. Not incredible shooting. As I look at the stats now, they shot 46.9% from the field, 38.5% from three. Like, that is, like, well within the realm of an average shooting night. 
I think. Maybe a little bit on the high side for what I think the UCLA team will av- like shoot most nights, but I don't think shooting is what kept them in this game. What kept them in this game was like some really nice team defense at times, and Sebastian Mack, like you said, he stepped up. Like I don't think anyone preseason thought he was going to be that guy, and he is. he's looking like the dude they're going to turn to offensively the way they turned to Jaime Jaquez the last few years. Uh, I don't know. What do, what did you think of of this UCLA performance? Yeah, I agree, definitely. I think Carlos had kind of prepared me, or the way he'd been framing it was, we're not going to see what UCLA is until January. It's probably going to be ugly for large stretches before that. And that wasn't this game, at least not for its entirety. I think uh, it didn't feel like a fluke. We saw both sides of the coin, certainly. We saw the 17-0 run. We also saw them get a lead on a team that, uh, you know, could very well end up in an elite eight in March uh, and and was playing pretty well. It felt like a high quality game. I think you're still wondering like who that guy is going to be. Sebastian Mack kind of threw his hat in the ring. It felt like, Um, but I was, I I wonder if he's the best option going forward. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, if he continues to excel, if some of these freshmen maybe catch up and are there Um, because it seems like, Adem Bona certainly is is the guy right now who's the night to night presence. Yes. You know you're gonna see him show up when you turn in when you tune into UCLA basketball. Um he had an insane poster. I don't know if you saw it. <laughs> I, on the I definitely to... saw. <laughs> yeah. You couldn't miss it really if you were watching the game. Um he's he's awesome. But still you talk about like that Jaime Hawkes presence. Whenever I watch UCLA over the past few years was so evident you know Mm -hmm. he was the guy that they went to or tiger campbell um and it's unclear who that guy is sebastian mack looked like it for a time you talked about the shooting too like yeah 38 percent um good shooting night for ucla but you have to talk about the volume too they only shot 13 threes they only Mm -hmm. made five of them yeah uh so in absence of that volume i think um you know, in some ways it makes you less of a high variance teams. It, it makes you less dependent on shooting. On the other hand, can you find consistent offense to produce without it? Uh, and in absence of having a streaky night shooting, they still found a way to be streaky on offense mm-hmm. and have a drought where they, you know, let a septino run happen because they didn't have a consistent offensive presence. So I think they're still working some of those kinks out. Um, but a lot of these guys, a lot of these freshmen – uh, I felt like even when you looked on the stat sheet and they weren't filling it up, they weren't turning the ball over too much. They felt like they were playing good defense, playing Mick Cronin basketball. Um, and like maybe if, if they start start to get their offensive legs and confidence under them a little more, it could be a really competitive team. Yeah. I mean, just going through, I thought, Dylan Andrews was going to be that guy this year. I thought he was going to be the real main engine of the offense. And, like, it's not that he's played badly so far. He's just, he's taken a back seat, maybe. He's more of a passenger. And I feel like I'm denigrating him. I'm not meaning to. It's just interesting how Sebastian Mack has sort of taken that role. Uh, And the way you mentioned the volume, I think that's an important point because for how great and electric he was inside the arc and what he was doing drawing fouls uh mm-hmm. was hugely important i wish he was a shooter like i wish he tried to get to his three point shot more often than he does cuz i think as a guard that's just something you need to have that's something you need to be able to rely on and i don't think he can uh not to say he's a terrible shooter but uh like, I would like to see him shooting from deep more often than he does. As for one of those freshmen you mentioned, Bereke Bjungtenchel, do you know what he is shooting from the field this season so far? <laughs> I don't know. I know he was 0-4 in this game. So <laughs> He's at 14.3%. <laughs> and I think that that's going to – I think that will improve. I think he's just had bad luck so far. And for what it's worth, I thought he's – I feel like he's played pretty well. You know, he's one of those guys that's always – He's always there. He's always running right. for something. Uh, and so I, I'm sure things will improve there, which is why I'm feeling so good about the UCLA team because I feel like they played a great game, no doubt. There was room for improvement. Like, this could have been a better game for UCLA. And Certainly. They only lost by two. 
like that's pretty good. And looking at Marquette, sure they shot pretty poorly from three, only thirty two percent. At the same time, I thought UCLA's defense was really good. You know, I thought UCLA played a big part in that number being as low as it was. And thirty two percent in college is not like some ins- <laughs> my dogs barking. Thirty two percent in college is not some insanely low percentage. You know. Lots of teams, lots of great teams will have shooting nights like that in March. Uh, So, yeah, I feel really good about UCLA. However, if there are some, like, real things you're concerned about, is there more than just the shooting going forward for UCLA? I think it's... um... I think it's the offensive stuff mostly and just like, do you have a go-to guy mm-hmm. and can you hit the big shots when you need? Like we saw the difference for Marquette at times in this game was uh, their forward Joplin went five for 11 from three, like being able to hit those big shots. We saw the dagger at the end and UCLA has been victim of that, you know, obviously in prior March runs um, like can can UCLA find the guy who hits that big shot for them? Um, who in a moment where you're facing someone who's really hot uh, on the other side, who do you have that can go blow for blow for that? Uh, it felt like Will McClendon was kind of a, a spark plug for them at times as well. Maybe he turns into that guy, um, you know, and Sebastian Mack, is he the type of guy who, okay, next time when that, runs eight nothing can mm-hmm. he cut it with it with an easy basket um or can he do a you know can it be a pick and roll with bona and they have something that they can go to where they say when we're faltering when we're when, you know when things are piling up against us what's the easy basket what's the guy that calms us down yeah i think i think that's a great point like you said that go-to guy with the way mick cronin likes to play basketball i think that could be just a huge a huge problem for them if they don't figure it out by March and I still think that like while this UCLA team is better than we thought they were going to be at this time there could still be some real hiccups on the way to February and March as they search for who that guy actually is you know is it Sebastian Mack is a Dembona going to be that guy like I mean with non-conference games there's just too many games to talk about so we don't really have time to get into like the Pac-12 player of the year race we'll have a lot more time for those conversations in uh conference play but like if we were going to talk about Pac-12 player of the year contenders Adem Bona would be right up at the top like yeah on the short list for sure because of the force he is defensively and I think he's taken a step offensively I think he is doing more He's not doing nearly enough right now, I don't think, consistently enough for him to be considered that guy. Sebastian Mack, like we talked about, when you're a guard, you kind of have to be a pretty deadly shooter, uh, I think, unless you're just transcendently athletic, and I don't think he is, although maybe maybe he's just, maybe he's just incredible. Uh, I don't know who that guy is right now. I, w- I would love to see them find it, and I bet they will find somebody by the end of the year, that could be the big thing that keeps them from winning the regular season in the Pac-12, and I, I really don't think they're going to do it, even after this game. I think Arizona, the way Arizona looked is just incredible. Like, Arizona is going to just run through the regular season, and the questions with them just are about March. With UCLA, the reasons they might not be maybe like a top one, two, three, four seed is because they haven't found that guy early enough in the year really curious to see when they find it because I think they will yeah I agree with that and I think it's setting up for you know who knows what seed they'll be going into March but Mm -hmm. based on a performance like this it it feels like they're going to be alive in almost any matchup you're going to say there's a path here where they can they can lock in defensively and control the pace of a game um and kind of assert assert that and win that battle against a lot of the best teams in the country. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. When Arizona and UCLA play, which oof, I'm so excited <laughs> for those games, those are going to be a ton of fun, especially with the added element of this being the final year of the Pac-12, you know, and the final year of that rivalry meaning as much as it has. Uh, I mean, like Arizona, I think, is a much better team in a vacuum. In that game, though, 
I think they're still favorites, but it is absolutely a winnable game for UCLA. And that's going to make UCLA to be just a ton of fun to watch this season. Like, I might end up watching more of their games than anybody else because of the way I think they could win every game. Also think that in conference play, I could see them losing some to some teams you wouldn't expect. Uh, But yeah, any more on this one from you? I think that's pretty much what I got. All right, then. We'll move on to the next one where uh, Colorado lost to Florida State. Do you want to take us through that one, Reed? Yeah. On Tuesday, Colorado took the court in the championship of the Sunshine Slam tournament. The Buffs made it there after sneaking by Richmond 64-59 in the semis behind a 23-point night from junior guard K.J. Simpson. First Florida State in the final, things took a different turn, largely due to Simpson going cold. He finished 5-for-22 on the day. Freshman Cody Williams broke out for 17 points of his own, but the Buffs couldn't get much else going as they squandered opportunities throughout the second half and got blasted early in overtime to fall 77-71. to Greg, where are you at with the 18th-ranked Buffs after this disappointing loss? This loss, on paper, is not as bad as it looked watching the game. You know, like, on paper, Florida State's a good team. Like, I don't think that that's a terrible loss that they should be ashamed of just looking at the box score. You know, if I hadn't watched that game, I'd think, oh, well, you know, these losses happen other side of the country. You know, it's whatever. You took them to overtime. Good job. Watching that game, I am worried about Colorado. (laughs) Uh, I saw some Colorado fans on Twitter talking about road tad, you know, like they just are bad on the road. (laughs) And while I don't think he had a good game, Tad Boyle, and I'll talk about some of the reasons why. Their player, like Tristan Da Silva specifically, man, that is one of the worst games I've ever seen him play. Uh, He was atrocious just for most of that game, especially in the second half. Six turnovers in that game. And from a guy like Tristan Da Silva, one of the things you love about him is is he is so level-headed. Like he's just a guy you can count on, you know, that consistency. And it was not there at all. Uh, I think that really affected Colorado, him making those dumb mistakes. In the final minute of this game, Colorado had two chances to win it, and they dribbled it off their foot twice. Just, oh, it was so bad. It was so bad. Like, Cody Williams, I thought, was really good in this game. Like, he was one of the few bright spots for Colorado, and he had five turnovers himself. But, like, I'm going to give him more of a pass because he's a freshman. He's not a senior like Da Silva. And... He, at times, felt like he was the only one on Colorado with any interest winning this game. He was the only one who didn't look like he was being bullied by Florida State. Uh, I was very impressed by him. He's further along than I thought he'd be. But I just, watching this game, I could not believe how, I don't know, how scared Colorado looked, how how much they did not want to be there very clearly. Like, I tweeted this with a couple minutes left in overtime, but, like, Colorado rolled down and died for Florida State. Just it was like yep. they'd completely given up mentally. Now, at the end there they did really like start to show life. They started playing defense again. They started actually like hunting good shots. But at that point it was just too little too late. And another problem with that final minute of the game, they had a chance for a 2 for 1 and used the entire shot clock and didn't get a shot. Like what on earth were they doing like tad boyle that one is completely on you like you have to be telling your team two for one right here two for one we're absolutely taking it ah it was just so frustrating to watch Uh, i don't know you get a chance to watch this one yeah i did um i had a lot of similar takeaways to you honestly i mean cody williams definitely seemed like the bright spot but you know in doing my prep on colorado I thought that was going to be kind of the additive thing. He was going to be on mm-hmm. the side, and, and when he had a good night, that was going to put them over the top. But he wasn't supposed to be the main dish of this offense, you know? And once K.J. Simpson went cold, I, I you know, it's looking around. Obviously, like, you're looking for Tristan Da Silva to kind of step up. He was a guy that I think you had him at as Pac-12 Player of the Year preseason. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Carlos might have as well. He was certainly, you know, at the height of that mix. And this performance was nowhere near to that caliber um yeah it was it was confusing it felt like it you know they lacked identity they lacked the will to be there like you said um and just you know 
KJ Simpson, like I said, kind of had willed them through uh, the night or two before against Richmond. And then he goes cold. He goes five for 22. Uh, and the wheels kind of fall off offensively. And your supposed best player isn't there to pick it up. And it's kind of this freshman has to step into this insurgent role, but he's picking up the pieces ultimately. And of course he's going to have five turnovers in that spot. Um, so I don't know. I don't, I don't know where to feel about this Colorado team. Like if you looked at the rankings, you look at the AP poll, they're supposed to be, yeah, behind Arizona, but right in there with what we think of USC and UCLA, um, you know, and maybe, a few other teams if you want to throw in Oregon or you want to throw in uh, even what Washington's doing, whoever it is, you know. Colorado feels like they're edging towards the back of that group based on this performance, not mm-hmm. right there and in, in the, you know, second position to Arizona like some might have thought they were going into this weekend. Yeah. Uh, this is very disappointing, I think. is that's, that's how I feel about Colorado after this because while they did shoot horrendously, and they will shoot better than that most nights. You know, KJ Simpson's not always going to be terrible. And Eddie Lampkin, man, three for ten as a big. That's right. that's tough. That's tough. <laughs> and most nights it's going to be better than that. But I just I struggle to think about those other great teams in the conference. You know, uh, specifically USC, UCLA, Arizona. Those three. I struggle to think of them making me feel the way Colorado made me feel in this game. You know, obviously that can yeah. happen. Everyone can lay an egg. But, man, Colorado just looked hopeless. Just looked right. hopeless. Like, I don't know how that was. <laughs> this game, I feel like, shouldn't have been close, given the way the two teams looked. Like, Florida State just looked so much better uh, for so much of this game. And I don't think that UCLA, USC, or uh, Arizona would let would let that would let that happen against a team like Florida State. Maybe they'd get beaten, but I don't think they'd get beaten like this. And that is concerning to me as somebody who would love for Colorado to win the regular season title. You know, like if I can pick anyone, and of course the conference tournament, if I could pick anyone out of like the teams I think that it's realistic for them to do it, I would pick Colorado because that would be the most fun for me. I don't think it's going to happen, though. Not after this game. I think they have a lot they're going to need to figure out. And if they figure it out by March could be a really fun ride. I think the Colorado team still has a very high ceiling. Like, they have a high enough ceiling that they could make a deep run in March. They could win the conference tournament. Wouldn't be shocking to anybody. I think they're going to have a kind of bumpy road on the way there, though, too, in the same way that we talked about UCLA maybe having that. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, you know, if you want to play devil's advocate, maybe you can say – hey, they shot 34% on the night. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was just one of those nights. And, of course, we're five games into the season where they played nobody for the first three games. We we got to see two games from them against real competition. It didn't look great. Mm -hmm. Um, But maybe we're overreacting. I mean, that's kind of what we're supposed to do. Looking forward for them, they they have Miami in a few weeks here on the 10th of December, Mm -hmm. who's currently a top-10 team. I mean – I think that will be a really interesting check-in point to me to say, yeah. okay, was this a hiccup and they are really a top 25 team or do we need to recalibrate uh, on Colorado? I, th- I think that's a great point. If if Colorado wins that game, if Colorado looks good in that game even, I'll feel a lot better, you know? If they look yeah. like they did against this Florida State team, I will be ready to definitively say that they will not be in that top tier of the conference, you know? Uh, Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. That's that's all I have to say about this one. Do you have any more? No, I think uh, we can get on to your moose. Uh, I I guess this is, you know, I wrote at the start of this, is this shifting to the positive side maybe of the Pac-12 picture uh, after the buffs going down, but... I'm not sure. It was an up-and-down weekend for Utah, certainly. Uh, they made some noise in the Charleston Classic. Things started with a 77-70 win over Ken Palm's number 73, Wake Forest, powered by 31 from star big man Brandon Carlson. Then on Friday, Utah matched up with the sixth-ranked juggernaut Houston. Gabe Madsen, Madsen was the story in this one. His 29-point night on a scorching hot eight for 15 from three had the moose tied with Houston with seven minutes to play 
but Utah would run out of answers and lose 76-66. Then finally on Sunday, Utah fell in their third game of the weekend, despite being favored 91-82 to the Ken Palm uh, number 68 team, St. John's. Greg, I'll go to you. Uh, do you feel better or worse about the Moose after this weekend? Uh, it pains me to say this. I I feel worse. I feel worse for sure after this weekend. And like the Houston result in and of itself, not enough to to make me feel bad because it's Houston. You know, like this is. I think Kempom they might be the number one team right now. Let me double check. That. They're two They're behind two? Purdue. But behind yeah. Purdue, yeah. After the Utah game, they were number one. You know, uh, Utah only moved down one spot for that loss. Like. That's a perfectly acceptable loss. I'm not going to be mad about it at all. But at the same time, and I haven't gotten to the St. John's loss because that, to me, was egregiously bad. Uh, yeah. But the, uh, the the Houston loss, it is sad to see when you have a three-inch average height advantage on a team to get just thoroughly out in that game. Just thoroughly out-rebounded. It was... It was sad at times. Let me see what the rebounding numbers were. They actually finished 39 for Houston, 38 for Utah. Did not feel that way as you were watching. It felt like Utah could not get a rebound to save their life. felt like Houston was outworking them, and that's why Houston won. Uh, and to me, that is concerning not that Utah lost to Houston, because Utah should lose to Houston. It was concerning the way they lost, because I think offensively, they were relying on some things that were not super sustainable. <laughs> like Gabe Madsen going insane is why they were in that game, you know? And Gabe yes. Madsen is not going to do that every night. We saw that last year. He will have nights like this where he just goes scorching hot and the Utah offense goes on a run. Outside of that, like this team needs a backup point guard does not have a backup point guard right now. Hunter Erickson is not that guy. Uh, he is a shooting guard for me, a pretty small shooting guard, which is a concern. They need Davon Smith to get his two-time transfer waiver approved because if not, there's just not enough facilitating on the team, not enough on-ball creation. Raleigh Wooster, I think, has been fantastic this year. Like He has been everything that I could want out of a player like him. Uh, with the athletic and size limitations that he has. He's a great defender, and he's turned into a really good passer, I think. But they need another creator, and Brandon Carlson was not good in this game. He settles for jumpers too often. Uh, I think he has a good ability in the post. He just doesn't use it very much, you know? And I understand why, with his slight frame, you know, most bigs he plays will be stronger than him. But he still, when he gets the ball in the post, will score. Like, he just has that touch. I wish that he would, he would do that more, but he takes too many jumpers, and as long as he's doing that, the offense is going to be shaky for me. And if you're not defending when you are the second biggest team in the country, it's a massive concern. And we saw why on Sunday, was it? Yeah, Sunday against St. John's. Ugh, this was hideous to watch. This was terrible. St. John's, another team I felt like outworked Utah, out-rebounded Utah. This one, St. John's had 42 rebounds. Utah had 32. And the offense, again, was just, ugh. I did, I did not like watching it. I get they scored 82, but there were stretch of the, stretches of this where you could see, okay, so a lot of what Utah's doing is still unsustainable, you know? Like, you can't just hope that your past, like your offense purely based on motion will generate enough good shots for you to shoot well enough to beat a great team. Uh, like, you shot 44% from three, still lost the game. Uh, that That's that's a concern for me. And again, the defense has to be Utah's calling card this year, I think. If Utah's going to go to the tournament, the defense has to be the calling card. It was just, it was shockingly bad in this game. It was not good at all. Uh, St. John shot really well, and from three, whatever. I thought Utah couldn't have done a lot more there. From two, though, St. John's had so many easy baskets. Just so many where Utah did not go for the rebound. Easy offensive re rebound, easy putback. It was just, oh, it hurt to watch. Now, our our good friend Sam from the Peyton Years pod, he has suggested that this is not a bad loss at all because 
Rick Pitino is, of course, a great coach, and everybody on that St. John's roster is getting paid handsomely to be there. But I don't know. I still don't think it's a fantastic roster. Like, it's a good roster, but not so good that you should look that bad against them. Like, this is not, I don't think, a... This would not be a great Pac-12 team. I think Utah needs to be better against teams of this quality, or they're not going... Like, they'll be struggling for an NIT berth if they play like that. Although, the side note, shout out Glenn Taylor Jr., Oregon State legend, one of my favorite players from last season, uh, plays for the Johnnies now, and he had a pretty good game against Utah, uh, three for four from three. Uh, but, yeah, I, I feel pretty bad about Utah after this stretch. Not je- not really based on results, but based on what I saw after the very long rant. What do you think, Reed? <laughs> Yeah, you hit on a lot of my same observations. Um, the Houston wasn't was the one I was able to catch the full thing live, uh, and definitely, I mean, it was fun. It was cool to say they were hanging with the number six team. Like I said, they had it tied with seven minutes, but the point you hit on of it just feeling unsustainable was certainly the case. I mean, Gabe Matson went absolutely berserk in that game, um, and him consistently hitting wild threes was, yeah, it, it was. It was great. Um, you certainly would rather make them than not, but at the same time, what does that really like? How how is that going to translate to just an average sleepy Wednesday night in conference play? You know, like it, it's not always going to be there. Um, and then I think the rebounding advantage, like you said, it, you know, it showed up even more against St. John's, and a lot of the teams in the Pac-12 have good bigs. Um, you know, it it. And for a team like Utah, where we thought that was going to be a strength, we thought maybe they could match up with that because of the size. For them to be just this weak on the front lines, it feels like, um, doesn't bode well for their matchups in this conference. You know, mm-hmm. like that that was that was supposed to be the strength. That can't be the weakness for this team, right? So if it's if it's not going to be that then uh yeah i mean sure you, you can probably pick off some of the teams in the lower half of this conference but against the real contenders either you have a crazy night from 3 like Gabe Matson did or someone else does um or you're just not going to be able to win those games very often yeah it, it, i yeah i think we agree mostly on what has happened to utah I will speak positively as well, though, now that we've gotten the negative out of the way. Brandon Carlson, man, like, I I mentioned some problems with him. On the whole, he is just a phenomenal offensive player. Like, willed Utah to that win over Wake Forest. Had 31, and it could have been more. Like, <laughs> like, it felt like it could have been more if he had tried a little bit harder. Uh, he's just so difficult to guard because of his shooting ability, because of his ability off the bounce and his ability in the post. Like, he can do everything, and that is so valuable. Uh, Lawson Lovering, I think, is a great offensive option for Utah, which is funny, you know, when you're playing two seven-footers, like, the offense is a lot better than the defense for me with those two on the court. Uh, And the shooting for Utah, I think, is good. Like, I think, I will say... It's not sustainable to expect to be able to generate offense like Utah has been with, like, crazy Gabe Johnson fadeaways. But, I mean, Gabe Johnson, Gabe Madsen fadeaways. Uh, the the shooters Utah has, I think, are legit. Like, Cole Bajuma, I think he is a legit shooter. I think Gabe Madsen is a legit shooter. Brandon Carlson is a legit shooter. Hunter Erickson, I think, is a legit shooter. Uh, these guys are going to hit shots, and because of that, Utah is going to get hot some nights, and Utah could absolutely knock off one of the better teams in the conference, assuming they're locked in defensively as well, which can happen. Yeah. My big worry with them is more over the course of a season. Like, in a one-off game, I think Utah can beat anybody in the conference. They're not, like, it's not likely that they beat the better teams, but it's possible. The, over the course of a season, I think they'll lose some games you would really rather they win, and that's going to be the main uh the main problem like i think i wouldn't be surprised if utah has a loss to one of cal or oregon state this season because they just weren't as locked in defensively as they should be and the shooting happened to not be there uh but yeah that's that's all i have to say about uh this game and this weekend for utah 
it was an eventful one for sure. I wish it had gone a little better. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about building a case for March, like that that becomes a frustrating team to watch. One that's seemingly gonna gonna have to live and die by kind of good good shooting night, bad shooting night. At least what we've seen so far. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I wonder if if we flipped these results, if we had seen seen these last two earlier and then the wake forest one as our most recent data point maybe we're a little more positive about this team um Mm -hmm. because i i did feel like that was an encouraging performance but yeah we'll see yeah all right then uh we will have a ad break right now and then we'll get into some of the other notable results from the week homefieldapparel.com y'all it is time the black friday sale is here from november 17th to november 26th take 20 percent off the entire site with the code black friday this is the biggest sale that homefield offers throughout the year you need your benny believer gear you need quacker backer gear you need to pay homage during these holidays to our dark lord oski and there is no better way to do that than through homefield apparel using the code black friday get your orders in as soon as possible items are subject to sell out and we do recommend getting those in so that you can get those items in time for the holiday season for your friends for your enemies for the people like carlos that just seem to stick around in your life i don't really have a good reason why but he's just there he's always there Uh, tons of new drops ford pack 12 we have snapbacks bomber jackets all sorts of new items and new gear has been dropped so make sure if you haven't been to the site lately Check it out. Enter that code Black Friday at the end. Homefield Apparel, the only ethical consumption during the holidays. Thank you again to our friends at Homefield. And again, 20% off the entire site with the code Black Friday. Thank you, Matt. And thank you, Homefield, for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, Matt mentioned the Quacker Backer shirt from Homefield. I'm wearing it currently and uh five stars. It is just so comfortable. Love the design. Uh but yeah, <laughs> we will get into the rest of the slate with some rapid fire. All right. Um Oh, sweet. We got the music too. I thought we wouldn't have that without Carlos. Wonderful. Uh on Friday night, Washington beat Sean Miller's Xavier 74-71 to with another great performance from Keon Brooks Jr. before falling in overtime to San Diego State 100-97 on Sunday. Reed, is it time to start taking this UW team seriously? You know, as a blanket policy, I would I would like to say no. Um, but honestly and objectively, I think it I think it is probably time to start taking Washington seriously. All three of these opponents are between twenty and forty in Ken Palm. Uh, my stolen king, Frank Kepning, is gone. He's up in Seattle doing good things. Seem like a pretty good team overall. I don't know. I, I'm interested to see if they can make some noise. Yeah, I left UW for dead last week (laughs) i said that i am not interested in talking about them ever again they suck they make me angry that roster is fantastic and mike hopkins is ruining them and then they went and beat xavier who is probably pretty good and they took san diego state who is always good to overtime uh i think it is time to take them seriously which is so frustrating for me but at the same time i'm happy about it because this roster deserves to be good but we will move on to Saturday night where Oregon State and Washington State both took their first losses of the season with Oregon State losing 84-63 to to Nebraska and Wazoo losing to Mississippi State 76-64. Reed, do these losses have you feeling any different about either of these teams? I think the Wazoo loss is by far more understandable. Not only was it a closer margin, but um, Mississippi State is actually, uh, I think, all the way up at like six, yeah, 16th in Ken Palm right now. Mm-hmm. That's they a they beat good another team. Pac-12 team earlier this year. I can't remember which one. Uh, but yeah, they're good. They're good. And I think that is an understandable loss for Wazoo, like you said. I think the Oregon State one was kind of expected, too. I don't think Oregon State's particularly good doesn't really change my opinion about either of these two teams. I'm going to move on then to another game on Saturday where Cal lost to UTEP 75-72 in a game where Fardaz Amak 
was fantastic before he fouled out. Uh, this is their second straight loss after they suffered another three-point loss to Montana State earlier in the week. Is Cal the worst team in the conference? According to Kempom, they are. Uh, they're all the way down at 194 now. God. <laughs> yeah, falling falling well past Oregon State up at the mighty 177 mark. Look, I didn't watch this game live. I tried to catch up on it after the fact. But, yeah, I'm a little concerned about Cal. There were some good storylines, some transfers, some stuff. You know, new coach, everything kind of made you think maybe it would be a fun season in Berkeley. Not, not so far. Uh, maybe that'll change. Yeah, I'm not having fun with Cal. <laughs> I am not having fun. <laughs> I thought I would. I thought Cal would be fun. No. Uh, it's tough. It's tough. Bardo's Amac. As advertised so far, I think. He's been good. The problem is that not really anybody else has, you know? Like, it's not a good team still. Uh, Mark Madsen's probably going to need some time to right the ship there. Are they the worst team? I'm going to give it time because I still don't think Oregon State has anybody on their roster as good as AMAC is. But, man, those two are neck and neck for the worst team. We'll move on to Arizona, Oregon, ASU, and Stanford all going undefeated this week against not very good opposition. Anything in particular you'd like to point out real quick from any of these games before we move on? Uh, I'll talk about Oregon for a little bit. I, the health has really hit them hard. Uh, Biddle's been dealing with some stuff, and Folly Dante obviously already been out. Uh, Shellstad's still waiting for him to come back. So, yeah, uh, we'll see. I think... The good news is Oregon has a bit of a runway to get healthy. Um, the big one, you know, over the next month in their way is this Michigan game on the second. And I, I'm really hopeful that at least those bigs will be back for that one. Uh, and we can see kind of where this Oregon team is at against Michigan. Yeah, uh, like you said, the, that runway is so nice for the Oregon team to have. Last year's Oregon team had health issues. The last two years they had health issues as well. And they didn't really have that runway, and it it punished them. You know, they took some bad losses to some decent to great teams. Uh, hopefully, that doesn't happen to them this year. Other thing I'll point out is first team All Greg point guard Frankie Collins, my favorite player in the conference, had eight steals versus UMass Lowell. Insane, and including a incredible layup late game. Uh, love, love him. Once, once I nail out the uh, All Greg first team, uh, he he will be the first name on that list. But yeah, not much else to say. Good job on these teams for taking care of business. Uh, I'm just gonna go through some women's basketball rapid fire now. Oregon got trounced, 89 to 50 by Santa Clara at home. That's tough. I've seen rumblings on Oregon Twitter that it might be time for a coaching change. Uh, with the program, uh, USC beat Seton Hall 64-54 at home. Stanford beat Duke 96-64 in overtime. That was a great game. Did I say 64? I, <laughs> a typo happened here. It was a good game, though. Uh, Arizona lost 56-47 to to uh, Ole Miss in the Bahamas. That's tough. Uh, you'd like Arizona to have won that game against a ranked team. Uh, UCLA escaped with a 77-74 win over Princeton and Poly Pavilion in a game that had UCLA fans sweating. Uh, were you able to watch any of these games? Reed? I was not. Uh, I instead am just choosing to watch some Sabrina Ionescu highlights, relive <laughs> the glory days of Oregon women's basketball. Um, yeah, certainly a departure from that so far this season. Yeah, that's tough. I was not able to watch my beloved Utah women's basketball team as they are playing in Alaska right now, and the start times for that are just insanely late. Uh, but we will move on then to some game previews. Awesome. Let me find this music real quick. <laughs> All right. We'll do some game predictions now. Uh, with non-conference play, there are just way too many for us to preview them all. So I've gone and picked a few that I think are going to be especially interesting. There are a couple interesting ones happen right now as we record this, actually, with Oregon State playing number 13 Baylor in the NIT season tip-off and Stanford playing number 20 Arkansas in the battle for Atlantis. Reed, can we get a check-in on the score of those games as we record? 
Yes, I've got it right here. Uh, currently, Oregon State trailing Baylor with four minutes to play, 76 to 60. Uh, and then Stanford down only two to Arkansas, 22-20, a low-scoring first half there uh, at halftime. Yeah, that, that's one to monitor. If Stanford can pull that off, sheesh, your, your Stanford predictions may be coming to fruition, but... Back from the dead. <laughs> <laughs> we will move on to the predictions for the games that haven't happened yet. First, very late tonight, uh, UCLA plays number 11, Gonzaga, in Maui. Gonzaga is a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Now, for our dedicated Pac-12 sickers joining us live, um, do you think UCLA can exercise their Gonzaga demons in this one? I'm, I'm really excited for this game. Uh, you know, obviously the history there, in mm-hmm. recent history there. Um, I, don't, I don't think so. Something kind of tells me that even though that UCLA performance was such a positive indicator versus Marquette, it's not going to be sustainable in the short term, uh, and that this might be a, a little bit more of a, you know, drastic result in favor of Gonzaga. I think you're right. Uh, I'm with you. I think Gonzaga is going to win this one. I think Gonzaga will cover that number. Uh, UCLA, I wouldn't be surprised. It's just a young team, and they've played a lot of games recently. Wouldn't be surprised if there's a bit of a hangover here, and they're not quite up for it the way Gonzaga is. Uh, We will move on then to Thanksgiving, 1 p.m. Number three, Arizona, will play number 21, Michigan State, who has lost two bye games this year. Pretty terrible. Um, Ken Palm has Arizona still as only a six-point favorite. What are you looking for from the Wildcats? Yeah, this is a real head-scratcher. I mean, I I have to be honest, I have not watched any Michigan State so far, but they were like a top-four team preseason, right? Yeah, and they just uh, lost to two really terrible teams. Yeah, these teams are going in opposite directions. I mean, Arizona seems to be playing great right now. So, yeah, I'll, I'll go with Arizona. I'll go with them to cover that number. I mean, based on what's happened this season, it seems like it should be bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, always pick Arizona to win in big games in the regular season, just for <laughs> sure. Uh, when we talk about basketball next Wednesday, I am going to have a lot of nice things to say about Arizona, especially because last week I think I was a little too negative after the Duke the Duke win, you know? I should have given them more flowers for that as that was very impressive and I was focused more on my questions uh, for March. But we'll move on to the next Thanksgiving game. 2.30 p.m., number 23, USC, will play an undefeated Seton Hall team. Ken Palm has USC winning by three. Uh, as a USC honk for the year, I'm going to be looking for a little more cohesiveness between the guards and the bigs for USC. Uh, that's what I want to see to feel a little more confident about them. What are you looking for, Reed? Yeah, I just want USC to win, honestly, uh, which is a rare stance for me in general. But I'm I'm starting to like some of the teams in this conference. It feels like there are some teams maybe trending towards the bubble. And if USC could really look like a good team coming out of non-conference, I think that could help the resumes a lot, given that Arizona might be the only other real big win that uh, is out there for teams heading into conference play. Yeah, I think that's a great point. USC will need to play a big role in building the resume of the rest of the conference. Um, Finally, Monday at 8 p.m., a reeling Utah team will go to the Bay to play a St. Mary's team that is reeling even harder. Uh, Ken Palm has Utah winning by one. What do you need to see from Utah to restore some confidence that that maybe has been lost after the last two losses? Yeah, I have no idea what's going on with St. Mary's, so the interesting that they're reeling even harder. I don't I don't quite know what that means, but I They got will... blown out by Xavier and I think they lost two other games. Okay. Well I I've watched some of Xavier versus Washington, so I have some <laughs> <laughs> some sort of comparison tool there. I don't know. I mean I guess I'm I'm looking for a win. I'm looking for better rebounding, hopefully. Um just a little more discipline from Brandon Carlson, like you said. Like I don't know. Losing three straight here would be pretty rough uh, against all solid teams, I guess, but it would be rough to lose three straight. Yeah, I will be looking for exactly what you said. 
rebounding from Utah. I want to see Utah out-rebound a team. They should out-rebound almost every team they play with their size. Uh, and I want to see Brandon Carlson dominate a game from the post. I want to see him dictate the pace of the play. I want to see Utah really focus on getting him the ball, drawing fouls on the other team's bigs, because he's pretty good at that when he gets the ball in the post, and drawing double teams so that he can pass out to open shooters. That is how Utah needs to play, I think, to uh, win games, and we haven't seen it enough. But, uh, yeah, uh, hopefully Utah wins that one. Should be a fun game. That's going to be it for us. Uh, we will be back here Sunday at 9 a.m. Pacific to recap the final week of the Pac-12 football season. And then we're talking hoops again next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific. But for now, that's Reed. I'm Greg. Thank you for subscribing to our YouTube channel. Thank you for listening. And remember, there are no truck stops here. Not even one. Still and thick with smoke So thick it makes you choke The crowd falls in The coffee's kicking And my patience and everything Said I'm lonelier Than a single sax On a quiet city street Things aren't always green Or on the sunny side of the street And I don't mind If the sun don't shine Bloody weather suits me fine Pouring up the best wine On the boat tonight Tonight I think I'll be a superstar